0: Oh, thank God. Thank God for that song. Joy. What's the status of your joy? You know, we used to sing a song some years ago. I said, this joy I have, the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. But, but I've got news for you. The world can actually steal your joy. The devil can rob you of your joy if you don't work to hold on to your joy, to keep your joy. The devil is not going to nurture your joy. Circumstances in life are not going to uh, encourage your joy. You've got to fight for your joy. You've got to fight for your joy. Your joy has to be in the Lord, not in the circumstances that you're in but in the Lord and what God is doing in your life. I pray that you are embracing that idea of fighting for your joy, of embracing your joy, of encouraging your joy, and watch this, of feeding your joy so that your joy is not only existing, but that your joy is growing and your joy is thriving. Thank you, Elder Taylor and Praise Team, for reminding us of the critical importance how vital joy is to our day-to-day living let's go to God and pray and ask God's blessings on our time today in his word father we thank you and we bless you for the opportunity to come to you with a word from you and I pray now that you would hide me behind your cross allow your people to see and hear from you use me as a vessel to help somebody hear from you and in hearing from you Encourage them by the power of your Holy Spirit, not just to be hearers of your word, but be doers of your word, especially when your word is hard to do in our flesh. Give us your power to do it by your spirit. We love you and we ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. So you might have picked up over the years if you've watched me, heard me preach that uh, I'm, I'm a closet Trekkie. I'm a Star Trek guy, I, I like Star Trek. I like the original, I like all of the spinoffs, I, I, I do. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of the Star Trek movies. They, the first one was really a dud, but the second one, man, oh my God, the second one was absolutely, it's, it's on one of my top lists, I mean all times of movies. You might not rank it that high, but Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, oh man, that was a movie for real. And and what happened was, after the first movie was such a dud, they decided to go back and look at all of the episodes of the original Star Trek series and see if they could identify a follow-up story, and they chose the story of Khan. Uh, Khan was a uh, eugenics uh, marvel, right? He was this, this superhuman that was gifted with superior intellect and strength and he attempted to take over the enterprise in the original series he was stranded he was put off marooned on a planet and basically was told that hey with your superior intellect you should have no problem surviving on this planet tough living but you'll be able to make it right uh and what ended up happening was they left him there. Well, in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, uh, there's a crew that comes back, and Chekhov is part of this exploratory crew. They come back, and they run into Khan. They, they went to one planet. They didn't realize that the planet that uh, Khan was originally put on had been destroyed, he had to escape, go to another planet, and so they show up at this planet, SETI Alpha, right? They show up, and here is Khan. And Khan finds out that Admiral James T. Kirk, who was Captain Kirk at the time of the USS Enterprise, is alive and well. And he puts a plan into motion to get revenge on Captain Kirk. He surprises Kirk because he takes over a Federation uh, starship. So he comes as a uh, wolf in sheep's clothing And, and they don't know who it is and then he starts launching an attack against the Enterprise. And just before he presses the button to issue the final destruction of Captain Kirk. He comes on the screen. And Kirk, in the midst of flames and smoke and sparks all around him, the bridge has virtually been destroyed, looks at the monitor and says, Khan. And Khan is basking in this because he has been plotting and planning the revenge on Kirk for years. And Khan issues a line. He issues a line that, that, I'll be honest with you, it was the first time I heard it said, and when he said it, it was so cold. It was like, oh my God, he didn't say that. He said, Admiral Kirk, are you familiar with the old Klingon proverb? that revenge is a dish best served cold. And it was like, woo, woo, woo. Now listen, even though Kirk, for his mutinous acts in the original series, would have been justified in killing Khan, but he let Khan live, but Khan didn't see life as a favor. He saw it as an opportunity to plot and plan the revenge of James T. Kirk. Revenge is a dish best cold served cold. Interestingly enough, uh, the expression is reported to have originated in 1800s from the French. Uh, here's the idea behind this revenge being a dish best served cold, it's the idea that revenge is more satisfying when you've had time to prepare vengeance and it's been well-planned, long feared, and unexpected. It's as if the person knows it's coming eventually, but they don't know where it's coming from. They don't know when it's going to come, but they, they know it's coming. And so they kind of walk around in a fearful expectation that revenge is coming. Hence the idea revenge is a dish best served cold. But my brothers and sisters, can I tell you something today? Paul has an entirely different concept. As a matter of fact, Paul would contradict the words of that old Klingon proverb. Uh, Paul would say revenge is not a dish best served cold. Paul would say revenge is a dish best served cold. By God. See, most of us, when we think about revenge, we think about how we're going to get somebody back, how we're going to pay them back. And you know we have those sayings, right? That 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 karma is a well, well you know what karma is, right? Or or payback is a, well, you know what payback is right we we have all these ideas that that when somebody does us wrong man listen you dig one ditch you better dig two right because the ditch you dug for me you may have dug for yourself we we have this idea of the satisfaction that we would get from revenge but paul says no even though that's what your flesh wants to do paul says you've got to back up brothers and sisters you've got to back up because revenge is above your pay grade you don't even know how to revenge in a way that a person needs to be dealt with because ultimately what god wants is not for you to feel good in your flesh out of revenge but he wants the opportunity to be glorified when you turn it over to him today i want to continue our series being a christian every day and we're In part three of this idea, living to win the fight against your flesh. And I want to subtitle this message, Revenge, a dish best served by God. Revenge, a dish best served by God. Now, Romans chapter 12, uh, Paul is dealing with relationships. He's dealing with relationships. He starts off by talking about our love for God based on all that God has done for us. And he says, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God. It's our reasonable service. And then he shifts and moves from our vertical relationship with God to our horizontal relationship with one another. And he starts, in essence, looking at our concentric circles of contact. He starts with those who are most close to us those who are family and friends, those who are part of the body of Christ. He says you have to treat those people in a way that loves and honors God, sees the best in people and brings the best out of people, not the worst. But then he takes that concentric circle out and moves beyond our family and friends to our enemies and those who have done us wrong. And what's interesting is Paul doesn't change the requirement to love in a way that honors God. He doesn't change the expectation of God because we're dealing with unchurched, unsaved, or ungodly people. He doesn't change that. He says basically this, you are expected to honor God in every relationship that you're in. Now my brothers and sisters, I've gotta tell you, man, I know that's hard. Um, I I know that's tough. It's, It's challenging because At the end of the day, man, our flesh is saying, no, no, I want some gratification. I want to be able to get in and do my thing. And Paul says, no, that same battle that was going on in Romans chapter 7, when I would do good, evil is always present. The good that I should do, that I don't do The evil that I shouldn't do, that's what I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? It's as if Paul says that that same battle that's going on in Romans chapter 7 has followed you over in Romans chapter 12 because that battle is what is trying to keep you from living in a way that honors God. So Paul says, let God handle it. Here's the first thing I want you to see today. Number one, you must live in a way that allows God to deal with your enemies. You must live in a way that allows God to deal with your enemies. Verse 19, Romans chapter 12, the ESV translation says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, I've got to be honest with you. These words are easier to read than they are to practice. I mean, it's easy to read this, but God knows. Man, come on now. Somebody has done me wrong, and Paul says, never avenge yourself. Never try to get back at somebody for what they have done wrong to you. He says, you've got to let God handle it. Now, there's no question if you're going to try to live this way that you have to pray and it's going to take some supernatural power to get there. Um, I was just talking to somebody this past week and they were talking about a situation that they were in and something that happened years ago. And when I say years ago, I'm talking about, man, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, 40 years ago it happened. And they still haven't let it go. Now, they haven't sought revenge, but they haven't allowed for reconciliation because their flesh just can't handle it. And here's what the person told me. They said, Pastor, I know I'm wrong. I don't need you to tell me. I already know I'm wrong. I'm just asking God to work on me. That's a start, but it's not the finish, right? And the truth of the matter is, every one of us can think about somebody who has done us wrong, and the question is, what would we be willing to do in our flesh, actively, proactively, or even passively, to pay them back? See, here's what Paul basically says. He says, your task is not to protect yourself your task, your responsibility, child of God, is to obey the Lord and leave the results to him. It's not your job to take up the mantle of defending yourself. God says, no, let me fight for you. Because the truth of the matter is, if you fight for yourself, then you cannot allow God to fight for you. God says, let me fight for you. See, most people we live under Uh, a variety of circumstances or philosophies that gratify our flesh. Uh, Some people live under the philosophy uh, do unto others before they do unto you. Like get them first before they have a chance to get you. Others live under the philosophy do unto others what they have done unto you. We, We don't think about this golden rule of doing unto others as we would like for them to do unto you. We we may even live by that golden rule. We may treat other people the way we want them to treat us, but God knows, boy, when they cross the line and they do us wrong, now we're going to do unto them what they have done to us. Paul says, do not avenge. Uh, do, do not seek revenge. That That word avenge means to vindicate, to retaliate, to punish, uh, to avenge yourself against somebody because of what they've done to you. He says, leave it up to God. Leave it up to God. And it's interesting because in the B part, he says, but leave it to the wrath of God. Leave it to the wrath of God. And that word for wrath is also translated in some places, the righteous anger, or judgment of God. He says, leave it up to God. See, see, vengeance belongs to God. There was a song some years ago that was popular in the church, uh, Hezekiah Walker and his choir recording it, Power Belongs to God. And, and, and we would proudly sing that power belongs to God. But listen, my brothers and sisters, vengeance belongs to God. Vengeance belongs to God. And so he says to all believers, beloved, those whom I love, those who who I adore, those for whom Christ died. He says, beloved. If you follow God, he says, this word is for you. Leave vengeance up to God. Don't, don't take it upon yourself. Leave it to God. Psalm 94, verse 1 says, O oh Lord. God of vengeance, oh God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O oh, judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. T- can I tell you something about vengeance that I've learned? Sometimes we try to take on the role of judge and jury. We want to be the executioner. And we want to do it all. And watch this. We have limited knowledge. We have limited knowledge of what the person has gone through. We have limited knowledge of what God is doing in their life. We don't know really how they got to their present and we don't know what God has planned for them in their future. God says, turn it over to me because I have so much to work with. I can take what was meant for evil, somebody you can shout right here if you wasn't too mean to do it, and watch God, you can watch God testify that God took what somebody meant for evil and turned it around for your good. They thought it was going to be a stumbling block and God turned around and used it as a stepping stone. And you wanted to watch this, take revenge on a person that God used to bless you. And I submit to you, my brothers, I submit to you, my sisters, that you might rob yourself of a unrecognizable blessing when you take revenge on somebody else. I've literally had people, for example, on jobs that I've worked, I've had people who I know wanted to plot and plan my downfall. I had done nothing to them, had never talked out of sorts to them, did my job, did my work, but we didn't socialize together and they wanted me to pay the price because we didn't socialize together. And I saw them do me wrong. And I can remember on one occasion, man, I went to my supervisor's supervisor. And I was like, hey man, this guy did me wrong. And his supervisor's supervisor, who I knew off the job, said, we know. And I said, but I don't want to, he said, Don't worry about it. Well, I'm going to file a grievance. He said, don't, don't. I would suggest that you don't do that. It'll all work out. And man, listen, can I tell you something? That brother that thought he was doing me wrong, oh my God, gave me the biggest blessing of my life up to that moment. I mean, he blessed me in ways that he had no idea he was blessing me. And I would have robbed myself of those blessings that I didn't see coming if I had retaliated or sought revenge against this guy. Paul says, don't, don't do it. Don't, don't do it. And then what's the second thing he says? You must live in a way that allows your enemies to see God's love in you. You must live in a way that allows your enemies to see God's love in you. Now, can I be honest with you? I told you it's hard not to take revenge. It's hard not to defend yourself. It's hard not to retaliate against somebody when they do you wrong, especially when you're not necessarily looking for the retaliatory moment, but it comes in front of you, right? And you're like, well, I wasn't going to look for it, but (laughs) now that it's here, Paul says, no, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, because you have to learn how to turn it over to God. And then the second part in verse 20, you've got to live in a way that even your enemies can see God's love in you. You've heard the phrase, kill them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. Look at verse 20. Instead, if your enemies are hungry feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Paul says, it is written, and then he quotes Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21. Let me read that for you so you'll hear the original. If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. You will heap burning coals of shame on their heads, and the Lord, I love this, and the Lord will reward you. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What what did the writer of Proverbs say? The writer of Proverbs said, if you treat your enemies... In a way that honors God and obeys God, the Lord will reward you. Let me ask you a question. It's real simple, but I think it's an important question that you need to ask and answer for yourself. Are you living to gratify your flesh or are you living to please God? Because here's what we know. When you live to gratify your flesh, God cannot bless you when you live to honor God in whatever circumstance or situation you find yourself in, when you live to please God, God can reward your obedience. I know I'm preaching, I don't even need an amen from anybody. I'm telling you what I know. When you obey God, you position yourself to receive the unmatched, unlimited blessings of God in your life. And when you decide that you are gonna react in your flesh All you have to bless you is the satisfaction of your flesh, and that won't last long. Treating an enemy with kindness will affect them greatly. Now, listen to me carefully because I already hear what somebody's saying. Pastor, that's not easy to do. I know it's not. Man, I'm not claiming it's easy. I'm telling you, there's some folk that have done me wrong. They don't need me lying. There's some people who have done me wrong, and it would be hard for me to pour water on them if I walked by them and they were on fire. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't act like I'm the only one. There's some folk that I have dealt with in my life that have done me wrong after I've done so much for them, and God knows Then if they said, I need your help. Matter of fact, if I saw that number come up on the phone, I wouldn't even answer it. And and, and I'm telling you, I got to pray about it. And, And here's what I'm telling you right now, child of God, don't rejoice in taking vengeance on somebody. Don't rejoice and say, well, you know, that's just the way I am. No, that may be the way you are, but that's not where God wants you to stay. Because that's not who God wants you to be. Because here's what I've learned. I'm not at my best when I act out of my flesh. I am never at my best when I act out of my flesh. I always have the opportunity to fulfill my potential in God when I allow the Spirit of God to lead, guide, and direct me. Now, somebody said, well, well, how how can God use me blessing my enemies? Watch what the text says. By doing good, the believer heaps coal of fire, coals of fire, on the enemy's head. And and this is not a a literal burning. This is a, a, a getting of a person's attention of causing them to stop and think, about what has been done. Uh, see, kindness can shame and cause anguish for an enemy. Um, I've had people who have done me wrong and and listen, man, I didn't react. I didn't respond. I left it alone. And and man, the guilt just wore them out. The guilt just wore them out. I mean they came back later on and apologized. Uh, sometimes kindness will store up the wrath of God against them in the day of judgment. Sometimes It just needs to build up. So when they are judged, God can say, see, you had no excuse. Romans chapter 2, verse 5 says, But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. You must make sure that you do not play God and try to avenge yourself. Here's what's interesting. Romans chapter two, verse five, Paul is talking to those who are stubborn and refuse to turn from their sin. He's talking to those who in the context don't know the Lord. But that same phrase could be said about you and about me if we do not obey God. We don't want to be accused of being stubborn and refusing to turn away from our sin. You must leave room for God to be God. And that's all I want to leave you with. In the midst of relationships that irk you, that take you the wrong way, that that, that put you in a place and posture where you're ready to lose your mind up in here. you got to get to the place where you become willing to leave room for God to be God in your life, even in the worst of situations and when you're dealing with the worst of people, will you leave room for God to be God? fella fellow was listening to somebody criticize him. That, That criticism became somewhat public and the person who was being criticized became very angry and was planning to fight back. And a friend of his said, here's the problem. If you defend yourself, then the Lord can't defend you. If you defend yourself, then God can't defend you. And can I tell you something? Uh, I've been in situations, man, where (laughs) when I tell you it took everything for me to hold my peace, man, I had strategized, I had planned, I had laid it out. Because my revenge was going to be a dish served cold, boy. I mean, I called attorneys. I talked to people. They were like, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you can do this. You can sue this. You can make this happen. Pastor, what do you want? I said, no. And I told one of the attorneys that I met with, in the midst of meeting with that attorney, I said, you know what? God told me to leave it alone. I, I felt as clear as day, as clear as I've been called to preach, God said, leave it alone. And here's what God showed me. I have to choose to love in a way that honors him and to love in a way that gives people a chance to come to higher ground. I don't want to seek revenge or retaliation and be perceived to be just like everybody else when I say I represent the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I've got to leave room for God to be God. I've got to let God be God in my situation, and I've got to let God be God first in my life. Because he can't be God in my situation if he's not God in my life. If I can trust him with my life, then I can trust him with my situation. I've got to let God be God. Leviticus 19 verse 18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge, Against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself. Even the bad ones. (laughs) I know it's tight, but it's right. Revenge is not a dish best served cold. Revenge is a dish best served by God let's pray Father thank you for this day thank you for uh, your message Um, I know there are are some who have been hurt by others and are justifiably in pain uh, justifiably hurt justifiably angry and there are some who are listening today God who have not acted on their revenge but they have plotted and planned it and they have thought about here's what I would do to get this person back here's what I'm going to do and they want to take matters into their own hands there's somebody who's listening right now they don't they don't even want to call the police they just want to take matters into their own hands and participate in some kind of criminal activity in order to take vengeance on somebody instead of leaving it to the authorities and leaving it to you. God, I just pray right now that you would give those who are listening right now, near and far, give them peace. Help them to trust you and your power and your might to do beyond what we can ask, think, or imagine in regards to this situation. Have your way, Lord. We ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're listening right now and you're still with me, praise God. I know it was a tough word today. I, I gotta tell you, boy, it's it's been a tough word to deliver. I've been working on this message for a while, and this is one of those verses when When you get to it, especially as an expositional preacher, if you're preaching verse by verse through a passage, you kind of ask God tongue in cheek, boy, can I just skip over this verse? But not reading it, not studying it, not preaching it was not an option because it's a word that challenges all of us and cuts all of us. And we can't do it without the power of God. I want y'all to hear me, man. We can't do this. We can't live this Christian life fully without the power of God. And if you need to repent to the Lord in your prayer life and your private praying ground, do that and honor God in everything that you do. Now, listen, if you're looking for a church home and you, you believe this is where God wants you to be, even on the digital platform uh, I've got to tell you, boy, we, we've got some exciting things coming. It's, it, things are just building and building and building. And the first of the year, we're going to be launching uh, I Hope Church and launching it in its totality. That's our, that's our plan. That's what we're working on right now. And what makes I Hope Church different is we want to help facilitate your discipleship in a very strategic and intentional way on the digital platform. So in other words, wherever you are, beyond just preaching, and I pray that the word of God has blessed your life, but beyond just preaching and teaching, that we're allowing you to not only experience biblical content, but to experience loving connections so that we can help you in your walk with God and help you become all that God wants you to be. That's our goal and that's our objective. Uh, If you'd like to unite with our church, you can do that on the digital platform. Just say, I want to join the church. Click on that link, go to our website and you can get information and we will follow up with you expeditiously to help connect you with our church family on the digital platform. I'm grateful for those of you who have joined from around the country and around the world. And I want to encourage those of you who want to walk with us, in a very intentional way to give us an opportunity for this season of your journey to pour into your life, we welcome you to do that. There are six ways that you can worship the Lord in giving if you haven't done it already. And I want you to know your giving makes a difference. And when I say your giving makes a difference, your giving makes a difference in lives. Uh, we don't build buildings to reach people. We reach people and in reaching people, we build what we need in order to reach people. And one of the things I'm so godly proud of is our commitment to touch people's lives uh, in ways that you could never imagine. We we don't have the space uh, that a normal organization, for example, that's distributing food has. But for us over the last year to have distributed over a million pounds of food, We don't have the space to offer free mammograms with our partnering groups in the community uh, to people who are underinsured or underinsured. We don't have the facilities to uh, navigate and make sure hundreds of men, especially men of color, have an opportunity to get their prostate cancer or their prostate screening done. But God has allowed us to do that. And it's because of the commitment of our people. Man, we we did vaccinations here. And the group that we were partnering with described the space that they needed. And they said, well, where can we do it? And I said, we'll we'll, we'll do it in the sanctuary. And they said, in the sanctuary? I said, absolutely. I said, we have chairs. uh, We have flexible space. It's multipurpose, utilitarian, functional, as my pastor, Dr. A. Lewis Patterson here in Houston would say. And so we moved the chairs and set it up. And man, we was rolling people through getting them vaccinated. And it was a tremendous sight to see the sanctuary used to touch and change lives in a tangible way. That happens because of your giving. So I want you to know your giving makes a difference. Your giving not only saves souls in eternity, but it saves lives on earth. And that's what I believe the church should be about making a difference here and preparing people to go to glory. So we're grateful and thankful to the Lord for that. Allow the Lord to bless through your giving to help people become all God wants them to be. Now we're getting ready to go into the holiday season. Uh, Man, Thanksgiving, we'll have our virtual Thanksgiving service. Man, I want to encourage you wherever you are with your family members or friends, look out for that. Uh, That piece that's going to come out is going to bless your family. For those of you who may have family visiting, uh, it'll air at 10 a.m. central time. We'll also be airing it uh, at 8 central and 12. And we'll be airing it throughout the day. So people who want to watch it, they can watch it wherever they are and whenever they want. And uh, we'll be doing the same thing for the Christmas holidays. We'll be doing the same thing for New Year's as well. Uh, remember, first Sunday in December, we will have another in-person worship at the Good Hope Church, 3015 North McGregor Way. If you would like to register, you can register at goodhope.org and register how many are coming. We want to know your vaccination status. We're not requiring vaccines, but we are requiring people to come into this closed space with mask on. And we are doing physical distance in terms of family to family and person to person, all right? So if family members are together, that's fine. And then we have a little separation for other families and the like. But we would love to have you come and worship with us if you feel so led. And for those of you who don't come, it's okay. We're not going anywhere. We're going to be right here to keep on loving on you on the digital platform, all right? Don't forget, God is doing something wonderful in you. God is doing something wonderful in me. He's still working on us. We're still a work in progress. But my prayer is that you are a willing participant in letting God help you become the person that he wants you to be. All right? Till next time, God bless is my prayer.